part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I want you to open your Bibles to James. We're going through James, and as we've said before, it's, uh, we'll probably be in James at least to September, it looks like. Uh, it's not that we're going slow just on purpose that we can uh, you know, try to, to make it last forever. It just, it's just it's good stuff. And today's going to be a little bit of a mind shift for you as we get into this talk about temptation because I think most of us are geared to think of temptation in a certain way that, you know, you avoid evil. And certainly that is biblical. So it's to run from and flee from evil. And yet so oftentimes when we think of temptation, we, we think of temptation in, in regards to, you know, just all that evilness that is out there and just the really bad sins. And, and yet temptation, as we're going to see James explain it today, is any time that we would question the character of God, that really what the greatest temptation that you and I will ever face is not some greed, not some act of pride, not some sexual sin or all those things. Those are sin, and temptation will come in those areas. But the greatest temptation, as we'll see in the Word this morning, is when we begin to say, God, don't you care? God, have I just been left here? And that, that questioning the very character of God is at the core of the greatest of all temptations. We live in an information age, guys. There's all kinds of information out there. If you have ever um, you know, been sick and you've gone to the Internet to, to try to self-diagnose, you, you find out you know, really quickly how uh, there's good information and there's bad information. You, you type in four symptoms that you have. I'm experiencing this, 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 and this. And folks, it may come back and say, okay, you have the common cold or it has some, you know, some African disease that you must have gotten while you were on a mission trip down in the heart of the jungle or something. I mean, it, there's information and then there's misinformation. Would you agree with that? That like if you go to the Internet, that there's a lot of information, but there's a lot of misinformation. Well, folks, when it comes to spiritual things, there's a lot of information out there, but there's also a lot of misinformation. And so this morning we're going to do something just a little bit different as we go through this passage of James. And uh, I'm not a big, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, especially not a step type person. I, I just don't like that. kind of makes a box, and God is much bigger than a box. But this morning I, I am going to give you seven things, and it's seven truths about temptation. And so if you want to get your notes out, you kind of want to make one through seven just so that you can... Uh, kind of have those. But let's read the, the, the main text that we're going to look at this morning, and then we'll start going through these seven um, truths uh, about temptation. And, and we'll kind of look at them from the truth end, but we'll also kind of see them from the lie that often we believe. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. <clears throat> Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In those three verses, James really tells us a lot about temptation. And really to put it in the proper context. Remember, context is everything, folks. He is still talking about trials. And even the passage that we're going to look at at the very end, what he follows up about how God is a good and faithful God, he's still talking about temptation. All this is talking about trials and temptations and how we react to trials and temptations. But think about it. Are you more prone 
<laughs> to be tempted in your, you know, when you're solidly in God's word or when you feel like, you know, you're questioning God and you're going through those trials and you're asking those three questions that we've examined over the last kind of weeks, you know, the several weeks. You know, why this? Why now? Why me? You know, when, when you get into those whys, the whys doesn't, they don't just stop with ourselves. They kind of expand out because who are we asking that why this? Why now? Why me? Ultimately, creator God. God, if you, if you really are the creator, if you're really over all things, then, then why are these things happening? And, and so I don't want you to think that James all of a sudden has been talking about trials and considering all joy when we face various trials and we fall into these various trials, I don't want you to think that James all of a sudden goes, okay, point number two, chapter two. He doesn't switch topics. He's still talking about life when we're in the midst of trials, when things are really challenging us mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's in the midst of those trials that he talks about temptation. So, so make sure that you're linking those two and not separating those two. Because if you separate temptation all by itself, and you see what James, you're going to get some information, but you're not going to get the full information. It's linked with this whole talk about trials. So there's the passage, and and let me just start off with number one. What's the first truth about temptation that we begin to discern both what James is saying and what we find in the balance of God's word? Uh, Number one, temptation happens to everyone. Now, in one way, we would agree with that. In one way, we would affirm, yes, that is truth. But haven't you always thought, okay, that person must really be tempted because, you know, they just, they're kind of an evil person. They're just kind of a mean person. They're just kind of, they get in a lot of trouble. I mean, we went to school with people that you're going, okay, temptation doesn't have to find them. They find temptation. I mean, you just, you know, there were certain people that you just seemed like they were always getting in trouble. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't pick out and say that there's a select group of people that really are just prone to temptation. Don't be one of those people. That's not what the Bible says. It says everybody is tempted. Everyone is tempted. And so temptation is going to happen to everyone. It doesn't just happen to bad people. It doesn't even necessarily happen even more to bad people. When we look biblical, we find out that none of us are immune from temptation. And James is not making this comment um, outside of Christ. he's he's talking to the church. Remember, he's talking about those that are in Christ. He started off brothers. He's going to see in the midst of this, brothers. He's talking about Christians. So he's not looking out in the world and going, man, those old pagans out there, man, they must deal with temptation all the time. No, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the churches, and this letter is going to be passed around, starting in Jerusalem, being passed around. And, And he's telling us, we all face temptation. Same thing that the apostle Paul said. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We're going to come back to that later, but let me just kind of introduce the first part of that verse. Every test, every temptation that seized upon you is common to man. So, you know, there's not something that you're going to face that other people are not facing. I love how the Good News Version, now, I'm pretty strict when it comes to, to what the Bible says, and I always want us to have a translation for our critical Bible study. And it really doesn't matter what translation that is as long as it's a translation. Good News Bible is a paraphrase. So it kind of takes that all the, the, what the verse says and it kind of chews it up and it kind of spits it back out in everyday language. And so it's good for devotional reading. It's good for 
kind of making sense. You're going, I'm not a Bible scholar. I, I need somebody to chew this up and spit it back out for me. So, so paraphrases are great for that, as long as you're balancing that with your intense Bible study with the translation. But here's the good news version. It is a paraphrase. Somebody chewed this up, and they're spitting this verse back out, and, and they say it this way. Every test that you have experienced is the kind normally comes to people. Are you people? I think this is an excellent rendering of that verse. So, man, anything that you, any temptation you ever face, it's just common to everybody else. Maybe not that exact temptation, but temptation, every one of us face it. There's very few times that I get to stand before you and, and actually have a sermon where everybody goes, yeah, that's me. I mean, sometimes we're talking about marriage, and so that includes some. It doesn't include others. Other times we're talking about parenting or something like that. That includes some, doesn't include others. And when we start talking about temptation, every one of us can raise our hand today. Every one of us can say, yeah, I am people. I'm, I'm part of that. I'm people. And so I face this. So the first, thing, first truth about temptation, it happens to everybody. Second truth, temptation is not sin. Temptation itself is not sin. It's important for us to realize that temptation and sin are not the same things. Yes, temptation leads to sin. We're going to see that later on. It can lead to sin. He's going to give a whole birth scene. He's going to say, okay, this can start and can conceive, and then it gives birth, and then it grows up, and it leads to sin. But temptation and sin are actually two different things. And it's very, very important for us to know that truth, because guess who will lie to you about that? You think the evil one will ever whisper in your ear just because you were tempted that you're just some dirty dog? <laughs> you know, that, and, and, and here's, the, here's the thing that Satan tries to do. Satan will try to take that temptation and say, well, Jeff, you've already been tempted. You've already kind of thought about it. You might as well do it. Have you ever been there? Well, I'm already feeling this. I'm already mad at her, so I might as well tell her what I think about her. Well, you know, one is a thought. I'm really kind of upset with this person. Maybe it's a a family person or something like that. It's another whole thing to act upon it. I mean, James is going to tell us next week, man, think for a long time, listen for a long time, speak every once in a while. (laughs) So it's good for us. It's not just a fact that we have to just, you know, kind of make sure that we understand that temptation is not sin, folks. It's important why we understand that. Because there's going to be a lot of times that you and I, that we really aren't going to be tempted. Remember the Bible says that Satan is like lurching. He's just sitting there ready, ready to make his move. But can you resist that? Sure you can. By the blood of the cross and the power of the, the gospel message? Yeah. So we're, we're, we don't have to get and be sucked in. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to kind of go through this whole cycle. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, talks about Christ. Was Christ tempted? Okay. Was Christ tempted? There you go, yeah. Okay, did Christ sin? No. So they can't be the same thing. Temptation can't be sin. It can't equal sin. It can lead that way, but it's not the same thing because Christ was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we know that we, do, uh, that for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
But we have one who has been tempted in what? Every way, just as we are. Finish it for me. Yet was without sin. Now again, you might say, well, but Pastor, I don't need to do that. That's, that's kind of elementary ABC. And, and you're right. But if you didn't know that, if you really did kind of equate temptation with sin, that's when Satan takes advantage of that ignorance and starts whispering in the ear, man, you might as well just go ahead and yell at her because you thought it in your heart. And yeah, that thinking in the heart is sin, you know, a form of sin. But it doesn't mean that if you actually say it out loud, that, that even develops that much more. It starts to strain that relationship. So we have to realize that temptation and sin two different things. Third truth about temptation. And this is one that maybe you will argue with a little bit, not so much biblically, but, you know, just God, that's not fair. And that is temptation is permitted by God. And this is really strange because we know that God is not the author of sin. He's not one that uh, wants us to sin in no way. James is going to say that he's not even, he, there's nothing evil in him. He, he can't tempt us. But does he allow temptation? Yes. Let me give you a couple instances there that, that I think you will know right off the bat. Could God have kept Satan, the serpent, out of the Garden of Eden? Yeah. So he had to allow it to happen, for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, could God have kept Satan from uh, all the temptations and all the struggles that Job had? Remember Job? had all these miseries? Could God have just, you know, Satan had to come to him and said, do I have permission? And God is the one that drew the line. God's the one that said, you can do this, 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 and this. Here's the stopping point. You cannot take his life. So who's in control there? God is. But God did say, you can do this, this, and this, and this. He didn't say, go do that. He did say, you could do that. Jesus. Did God allow Jesus to be tempted? We're going to find out later. He's even the one by his spirit led him into the desert. So I guess we have to understand that while God has, let's not mingle him with any type of sin. Let's not mingle him with any kind of temptation. God is not the one dangling something in front of you say, do you really want it? No. Do you really want it? No. He's not doing that. But he does permit it. Now why would he permit it? Well, he permits it as a means of growth. Remember, what we, remember in context, trials and temptations, they come. Why? From God's vantage point so that they can produce maturity. So that you can be a person of endurance. See, every temptation, folks, can go either way. It can be a loss. It can be a win. You get out there. You start playing the game. Start keeping score. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. I think the Braves play today at the end of the game. It's a loss or a victory. It's a W or an L. And temptation is that way. It can end up in the L column. You can lose if you give in to temptation. But have you ever had victory over temptation? Through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God's Word? I mean, temptation was right there. And you were able to say, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of God's truth, say, you know, no, I'm not going to go down that road. And it's not that you feel so good about yourself. I guess we could turn it inward and feel good about ourselves. But we're just going, go, God, yes. 
And then other times when we give into that temptation, we're going, I'm so embarrassed. God, you must not even like me. It's an amazing thing, this temptation. And that's why we need to know the truth about it. Temptation is permitted for God. Here's what God is always, when he permits temptation, it is always to test us. In fact, the word, the Greek word that's used here in temptation is really the word for testing, to try something. And it's not tried to, uh, to make it fail. It's trying to see its worth. Okay? Satan, on the other hand, while God is allowing temptation, he's not the author of it, he's not the, the, the publisher of it, he's not the instigator of it, but he permits it so that you can pass the test. Satan uses it, uses it to defeat you. So, so they have two different purposes. Okay, everybody been in school? And you had different teachers? And, and can you kind of swear that you had a teacher that they didn't really, that when they gave the test, it was not to prove how much you knew, but how much you didn't know? Did you ever have one of those professors? I mean, you know, I was the kind of, you know, I, I want the kind of teacher that says, okay, here's the information that we've studied, and now here's the test, and that that test actually reflects questions that we studied. But all of us have had at least one teacher in life that is like, I don't even know these words, much less, well, I know we never studied this. It wasn't just because I didn't study. This wasn't even part of our homework. Two different kinds of teachers. One wants to say, okay, have you learned this? Have you disciplined yourself? Do you know how to add? Do you know how to subtract? Do you know how to do this? The other one going, I can bet I can prove how many things you don't know. And that's the motive. We see that God has a motive in temptation by permitting it. When he allows Job to be tempted, his motivation is not just to prove to Job that he is sufficient, that is that God is sufficient, Proved to Satan. Because Satan's the one that comes with this lie. The only reason he even follows you is why? Because you blessed him so much. Man, you take away those blessings, this Job guy, he's going to turn on you like that. Two different motivations. God permits temptation. Look again uh, uh, at that temptation of Christ. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was what? Led by the Spirit, capital S. So it wasn't just a feeling that he had. What's capital S, Spirit? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) By God. We're talking about the Trinity. God the Father. And the Son is here led by the Spirit of God, led by God's Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. God is allowing, even leading, leading, but he is not the one that is tempting. He allows it, but he doesn't tempt. And that's what James says. Go back to James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt with evil. And he himself tempts no one. James isn't just saying that, okay, God's such a nice guy that he doesn't tempt. James is making a very theological statement here. He says he can't even tempt. There is not the ability for God to tempt. God doesn't have the ability to dangle something in front of you with ill motives. Oh, you want this? <laughs> not fast enough. I can't do it. It, it. It's not. He's holy. What we sang this morning, he's holy. 
So James isn't just saying, hey, this isn't the God I know. He's saying it is impossible for God to do this. So if you keep on looking where James is going, he's doing not so much a dissertation here, an explanation of, hey, here's all the temptations, and just say no. What he's saying is, man, the ultimate temptation, the ultimate temptation, especially when you're in the midst of trials and temptation, is to question the very character of God. So where is he coming back and building up now? The character of God, who God really is. Number four, temptation can come at any time. Amen? I mean, a lot of times, again, when we think when trials are on, we're going, okay, temptation is there. Certainly it is. We would say maybe even at a higher degree. But, But folks, you can be leaving church. In fact, you can be in church right now. And you could be tempted with such an odd thought right now. When is this guy going to be quiet? When are we going to... There's all kinds of thoughts that can come in our mind at any point in time. Truth is, temptation will come to you when you're spiritually low. Temptation will come your way when you're spiritually high. Do you remember what had just happened to Jesus before he was led into the... Desert to be tempted by Satan. What? He was baptized. Uh, turn to the last part of Matthew. Or just look on the screen if you don't want to turn there. Okay, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3 and see what just happened to Jesus. And then we're going to go over to chapter 4 where we just read about how he was tempted. Now look how this connects. Matthew chapter 3, closing verse. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, Jesus had just been baptized. He had been obedient to the Father. This dove comes down. The heavens open up. And we sang really good this morning, but you know, the choir that sang that moment, Ricky, would have been phenomenal. And it just, the, the, you know, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. Next verse, next verse. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It can come at any time. Certainly, it can come when you're spiritually low. And a lot of times, in this context of, of James, he, he's mixing trials and temptations. So he's you know, certainly saying, hey, when you're down and you're being challenged anyway, don't be surprised if temptation can come your way. But remember, it can come at any point in time. It's not a discriminator of, well, you know, because why is that important? Well, it's important because sometimes we think, okay, if we can just get holy enough... Temptation won't come our way. Are any of you ever going to be up to the level of holiness of Jesus Christ, our Lord? No. And so not only is the holiness of Christ, and he's tempted, but he had just been baptized. He'd been obedient to the Father. He's, he's following through. He's starting his ministry. And does he know where this ministry is going to end? Does Christ know where this baptism is going to end in three years? Yes, he does. And yet he's obedient to it. And so he starts his ministry. He's baptized. And in this, the father says, okay, you're starting this road where you already know where it ends. And so I I bless you. You know, he he has all this acclaim. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes immediately by the Spirit's leadership into the desert to be tested. 
Don't fall into the thinking that if you can just stay holy enough, that temptation will leave you. Sin can leave you. You know, it, it can keep you from sin. Let me give you two words to think about in temptation. Why would we aspire to be holy then if we're still going to get tempted? Because when you are pursuing God, when you're in God's word, when you are with the body of believers, when you're surrounding yourself, maybe it's even just Christian music on, on uh, the radio as you're going down the street, as, as you're just hearing the gospel in various forms, people, fellowship, the word, music, here's what it helps you to do when temptation comes your way. It helps you to discern temptation and keep from sin. Remember what the Old Testament said? Hide the word of God where? In our heart. That, that I may not sin against you. It doesn't say anything so you won't be tempted. Well, it has nothing to do with temptation. I mean, I don't want to say nothing to do with temptation, but just because you were in, if you read, if, if you went to a monastery, and Jeff, you decided, okay, I'm telling the family behind, God has called me to a monastery, and I'm just going to go off to this high hill, and you're there all by yourself in this monastery, can temptation come? Yeah. Now, maybe some of the sin opportunities have left, but temptation is there, and I guarantee you, sin can come. So, sin can happen at any time, but we aspire to be holy. We, we get in God's Word. Why? So it will help us to discern temptation. Number two, it will help us to defeat it better. Do you remember what Christ, when he was led into the desert, he's out there, he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you remember what the first temptation was? To turn a rock into bread. Now, if you haven't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights, even the rock looks pretty good. Okay. Is there anything inherently evil, if you had the power, if you had the power, to turn a rock into bread? Is it a moral injustice to turn a rock into bread if you had the ability? No, I don't think any more than taking flour and other additives and putting them into the oven and making bread that way. There's not a moral thing that's going on that's wrong if you had the ability to take a rock and turn it into bread. So the problem isn't turning a rock into bread. What is the, the temptation here that we see in Matthew chapter 4? Read verse 2 and 3. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, that is Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. There's nothing inherently wrong about turning uh, stones into bread. Why would it have been wrong here? Why, why is it a temptation? Yeah, it's, it's out of what God wanted him to do. God didn't want him to. It is claiming a power uh, that, that even though he could do that, this wasn't God's timetable. It's not trusting in God's provision. See, here's the root of it, guys. We think of temptation and greed and pride and, and sexual ways and all that kind of stuff. And, and there are temptations that every one of us face on all those levels. But the greatest temptation is to question the character and the provision of God. Let's put it back into context. James has said, man, when you're going through various trials, when you're really being challenged, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be enough provision in your life, whether that's monetary, whether that's love, whether that's relationship, whether whatever it is, that we begin to say, okay, God, why have you done this to me? That's the temptation. 
And so the temptation here is not just to, to trust God and trust in his provision. That's when Jesus comes back in verse 4. Look what Jesus says. Not only does he quote God's word, so there is value of knowing God's word. There is value in holiness when we're facing temptations. But it's not that we're going to avoid all temptations. It's so that we can discern it and defeat it. That's why we get into God's word. That's why we come and have a fellowship of believers. That's why we hang out with one another, iron sharpening iron. Not through the avoidance of temptation. Some of you are like the old joke. You know, the pastor's kids, how did they get so awful? Because they were hanging out with the deacon's kids. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you're going, okay, just because we're with one another doesn't mean that all temptation is gone. Look what Jesus says. But he answered, that is Christ's answer, it is written, that is, he's quoting God's word, man should not live by bread alone, but what? He said, God provides. Right now I'm hungry. Forty days, I imagine you would be hungry. I imagine that stone itself would look good. He said, but, but I have a God who provides. And my provision doesn't come just because I would turn this stone into bread. This provision comes because God is a provider. And I can trust that. And so he was able to discern the temptation even though there wasn't a moral evil of turning a rock into, uh, into bread, there's no inherent moral evil in doing that. He was able to discern what the real temptation was, and then he was able to defeat it. Why? Knowing the sufficiency of the God that he served. It's a test case, guys, there, of us looking at temptation in the proper biblical perspective and not just, oh, man, there's a lot of devils out there that want us to do the wrong thing. There's a part of that that is true. But the heart of what James is saying is getting us back to this whole character of God. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He wants us to know the nature of God, who God is. But James also wants you to know your nature, my nature. Look at the next verse, verse 14. What's the first word? Okay, when you use the word but, you're doing a parallel. You're doing a contrast of thoughts. He said, here's who God is. And now he's saying, okay, here's who you are. But each person, that would be all of us, we're people. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Fifth truth about temptation. Temptation is much more inward than it is outward. Much more in here than it is out there. Now, would you agree that there's a lot of temptation out there? There's a tremendous amount of temptation out there. Maybe more available today than ever before out there. But James doesn't say, okay, the answer then, Jeff, is to go off to that monastery. Because what James comes back and says, okay, yeah, there is, we live in a world and in a culture where there's a lot of temptations. And there's a lot of things that are just a click away that before, years, just years ago, uh, weren't just a click away. We live in a world of temptation. James is not saying that, that we don't. What James is saying is, look, I want you to understand that that root of temptation, where it really appeals to, is not just because you live in an evil world, but because you actually have an evil nature. Why does that matter, Bobby? Here, here's the point. 
if you think that you're evil just because you live in an evil world, then you become a victim. And we live in a society that loves to victimize themselves. It's not my fault. Man, if I didn't live here, if I didn't, I wish I lived back in those prairie days. Man, if I lived back in the prairie days, then I wouldn't have to fight that. I guarantee you, in the prairie days, they were saying, I wish I lived back in these days. And those people were saying, well, I wish I lived back in the caveman days. And the caveman was going, man, temptation has always been here. Why? Because of the nature of man. And that's what James is saying here. I, I told you last week that almost every week we're going to bring up Genesis 2 and 3. Why? Because it's the start of the gospel. If we're going to preach the gospel, if we're going to be about Christ-centeredness, then Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is almost going to come into every sermon. In Genesis 3, 12, listen to the victimization that Adam and Eve tried to play. They've sinned against God. They're hiding now. God comes in the garden and listen to what Adam says. Because uh, God goes, where are you? As if he didn't know. And the man said, Genesis 3.12, the woman whom you gave to me, uh, she gave me fruit of the tree and, and I ate. God, if, it's really, if I want to trace it all the way back to its roots, it's your fault because you should have given me a better woman. I mean, is he not blaming it on Eve? Is he not blaming then ultimately on God? Eve is not, not guilty on this either. Next verse. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, It was the snake. It was, it's all his fault. The, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you see what everybody is saying here? From the very beginning, from the very first sin, they're going, this really isn't my fault. I'm a victim. I don't know that there's a greater lie that Satan would want you to believe than you're a victim. Because if you're a victim, here's what it does. Number one, it takes away that there's a sovereign God that knows everything about you and is ultimately in control. If you're a victim, somehow God didn't do his job. And if you're a victim, there's no responsibility there. So Satan loves that. Would you agree that we live kind of in a culture of victimization? Yeah. You know, it's everybody else's fault, not mine. Well, folks, it is not new. It started with the first man and woman. But look at the lie. Temptation is more inward than it is outward. That's the truth. Both of the, were, were both of those statements that Adam and Eve made, did they have a semblance of truth? Yeah. In one way, it, you know, Adam could say, well, you know, she was sitting there looking at that fruit and then gave me some. And certainly Eve was telling a partial truth. I mean, there's an element of truth there. She says, well, that servant came over and said that it was really, really good and it had all these benefits. So it's, it's not that it's an all-out lie. It's just they started to believe some true things that were based on a wrong foundation. And that probably, for, for you as a church, is the greatest exposure that you'll have. It's to believe some things that have elements of truth, but based on the wrong foundation, especially when you're going through trials. Remember, let's not separate it from the context of what James is writing. I mean, when you're worried about how you're going to pay the bills next week and then all of a sudden temptation comes and you give, I mean, man, you're talking about a one-two punch, guys. 
And that whole, I mean, you're talking about something that seems so right to say. Well, it's just not fair. That has such a validity of truth. Now, is it all true? No. Is it somewhat true? Yeah. And there's enough truth in that for you to fall into that temptation and to begin to question the very character of God. Maybe not directly in your mind. You don't, I don't know that you said that. It's not fair and it's all God's fault. But ultimately, where are we going to put the, uh, the eventual blame if God truly is sovereign? And all of a sudden things really, uh, there's a provider God and he didn't provide. Where ultimately do you trace that back? The same place that Adam and Eve did. Adam going, well, God, you know, it's the woman. And if I remember correctly, God, you're the one that gave her to me. And she's going, it's the serpent. And somehow you allowed him in this beautiful garden. Don't you see how they kind of trace it right back to God? He didn't do what God is supposed to do. That's the danger. Folks, there is no utopia from temptation. There's not in church. There's not in seminary. Do you know that they did a study and there was the percentage of seminary students that viewed porn on, uh, uh, on the computer was not as high as the national average, but it was a lot higher than you would think. These are seminary boys training to be pastors. Temptation is there. Sin is there. There is no utopia from it, guys. What we do is we get this belief in the gospel. We, get, we hunker down into God's word, and it gives us discernment, and it allows us to defeat it. Number six, moving along. Temptation always costs more than you think. Amen? When I used to teach youth for years and years, uh, I, I would do things where we would have a price tag, and it said nine ninety nine. That's pretty attractive. It's kind of like the young boy who, this is a true story, he would ask his parents, now how many spankings will I get if I do this? I mean, the boy was just leveling it off, and he was going, okay, if I get as much fun as this, and it only costs me two spankings, you know, that, that's a deal. And your mind and my mind kind of work the same way. When it comes to temptation, we're going, okay, if there's really little effect, if I just get two spankings, man, there's going to be enough fun in this. It's kind of worth two spankings. But it always costs you more. That nine ninety nine, you, you turn that real price tag around. Hey, has anybody call, called to get cable in their house lately? I thought it was forty nine ninety nine. Why did I get a bill for a hundred and nine? It's all these other taxes. You've had this, that, and the other. Folks, that, that's how temptation is. There's a price up front that you're going to say, okay, I, I like that product, and then there's a price that comes. Look what it says, James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is uh, lured and enticed. That's a, a hunting term and a fishing term that he uses there. By his own desire. The desire, when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, so we stand at a crossroads, a fork in the road, and, and this way is being obedient to what God has taught us to, and this is disobedience. The temptation is always going to put there a crossroads before us, and we can go this way or we can go that way. We can be obedient to the things of Christ. We can be disobedient to the things of Christ. So we're standing there. The problem is from this vantage point at the fork in the road, we don't see the end of the road. So James helps us out here, and James says, okay, since you can't see the end of the road, you just think you're going to get 
Let me tell you what happens at the end of the road. Death. Death of a marriage, death of a relationship, death of a job. I was just going to call in sick a couple of days. I thought maybe I just wouldn't get paid that day. No, they decided to replace me. Death of a job. We stand at the fork. None of you, none of us are wise enough to know what's the end. James helps us out. He says, I will tell you what's to the end of that road. That this temptation, if you allow it to fester and conceive, then it turns in and it, it gives birth. And it may take nine months, but it's going to give birth. And when that sin comes out, it's not full grown. You think, well, that wasn't that bad. But he said, when that sin is full grown, and how far is full grown? Maybe 5, 10, 20, 30 years. What does it bring? It brings death. What, what he's doing, look back at verse 12, James 1, 12. He's writing brilliantly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 12, he was contrasting life, and, and now he's saying, okay, here's death. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life. He said, you want life? Here's how you get life. He said, you want things to die in your life? Now again, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. Does this mean that they're going to lose their salvation, they're going to die and go to hell? No. Can death come, not just physical death, can different types of death come into the life of a believer? Yeah. Death of a marriage, death of a job, death of the relationships, death of joy. There's a lot of deaths that can come. When we stand at that crossroad and we go, man, I just thought I was going to get that, and all of a sudden we find out the eventual end of what he is telling us here. So, so don't think of this just as a physical death. He's talking about the death of things. A wise person once said, sin would be a lot less attractive if the wages of that sin had to be paid immediately. Amen? Instead of on the three-month basis, the six-month basis, the five-year basis, the installment plan fools us to think, that wasn't that expensive. Last one. After establishing that we're not victims, after establishing that this is not God's fault, after illustrating the real cost of giving into temptation, James gives us hope. Don't you like ending on hope? And here's the hope that he gives us. No temptation is irresistible. By the power of the gospel, by the power of the spilt blood of Christ, no temptation is irresistible. You will never, by, by the promise of God, will ever have to stand before God and say that was an impossible temptation to go this way instead of that way. Never have to do that. But before we go to a verse that tells us that back in 1 Corinthians 10, let's see what James says. Now remember, James says that the ultimate temptation is to question what? The character of God. So what does he do at the end? Of, he talks about temptation, how it can go into sin. So what does he immediately do right after that? Look at verse 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's talking to Christians, brothers. He says, don't be deceived. Don't believe this lie. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance or shadow due to change. In other words, he doesn't change. He says, in this world of constant change, there's one thing that doesn't change that you can count on, and that is the character of God. 
your situation changing all the time. Temptations, uh, spiritual life up and down. Folks, you and I, we are as wishy-washy, we're as up and down as we can be. We have the consistency of a piece of spaghetti cooked. I mean, we really do. I'm not I'm trying to be negative. I mean, just, if it was really upon us, there's no hope. So he doesn't say, okay, pony up, get holy, just stay in constant prayer, go off to a monastery, avoid all this. No, what is this hope? He said, here's your hope you have. You have a father who is consistent, who is a provider, even though it seems like the provision isn't coming. You start to question the provision. He says, he never changes. He's a providing God. Father, he was yesterday, he is today, and guess what? He will be tomorrow. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Two verses, then we're going to go. Here's the promise of God. No temptation has overtaken you that has not come to man. We looked at that before. He said, are you going to face temptation? Yes, you are. Why? Because you're a people. Here's the promise. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to what? Endure it. And what is this whole section of James about producing in your life? Endurance. You see how it all connects? He said, look, I'm not promising you that you're, tomorrow you're not going to face temptation. But here's what I can promise you. Man, when you stand at that crossroads, there's not just going to be a left. There's going to be a right. Now, there's not just going to be a, a, a disobedience against God. There's going to be a way that you can be obedient, and I'll provide that for you. Why? Because I'm a faithful father. That's the promise that he's making. Is that a pretty good promise? Do you want it to get even more? Can, do you think that it could get even more personal than that? It does. In one way, you could say, well, that's great that God from heaven is looking down and says, Jeff, there is going to be a left and a right tomorrow. There's going to be two different ways that you can go. And that's a great promise. He made it even more personal. Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. How can you get more personal than God saying, because you are a people, even my people, I'm going to provide a way of escape. How can it get better than that? Here's how it gets even better than that. Here's how it gets even more personal than that. As we close, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He's talking about Christ. He said he has faced everything that you have, what? Without, yet without sin. He said, do you want me to make it even more personal? I walked among you. I just didn't stand up from heaven and go, left, right, there it is, Cleve. You can go either way. No, he said, I came down. I came down and I closed myself in flesh. And, and I, I walked the right way. And so the writer of Hebrews leaves us. Remember the whole imperatives, indicatives? We're commanded to do something, but it's always based on what God has already done. Knowing that God has already done this, here's his command. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You're to the point where you're going, man, I feel like I'm giving up. 
I, I believe in God, but I'm kind of doubting a little bit of my belief here, and I'm doubting this. I, I guess I'm doubting, Pastor, maybe a little bit of the goodness of God because it's, I'm in the midst of a trial, and then all I get on top of that is temptations. And I'm tempted to think that God's just not doing his job. I'm tempted to think that I'm just being a victim here, that it's just not fair. What does he say? You run to the cross. You run to the one who walked the path of Calvary, died in our place, and didn't say, well, I'm just a victim here. This really wasn't my fault. But the Bible says with joy took on the cross. Why? Because it involved us. That's the confidence that you can have this morning. And it's not in your ability, well, I'm just going to walk the straight and narrow. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do blinders. I mean, there, there's a certain parallel to that. Jesus said, if your eye offend you, do what? Pluck it out. He's being pretty extreme there. So there is a measure that we have to control ourselves, guys. But ultimately, the ultimate temptation, if it is questioning the character of God, it comes back and he says, you run back to that God who never changes, who is faithful. And you run and you will find grace in your time of need. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that your word directs us, Father. This isn't just a nice few couple stories. We had some jokes and we laughed and then we go out here feeling good. Father, you have challenged us this morning with your word, Father. Your word truly is sharper than any two-edged sword. It does cut. And so, Father, today I pray that we've been cut upon. Father, I pray that there are some maybe some lies, some myths out there about temptation that we've been able to put to biblical rest and say, no, that's not true. I'm not a victim. I have a sin nature and that God would even give me attention, shows us mercy and grace. And if he's that kind of God, then certainly he knows what I'm going through. And he's a providing God. If he's provided for me salvation that costs his only son, certainly tomorrow's lunch is no problem for my God. And so, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it uh, agitates us, that it stirs us up, that it challenges us. Thank you for making us thinkers. But now, Father, in that thinking, help us to, to also just follow. You gave us a soul. You gave us a, a, a spirit to, to, to think deeply, internally upon things. And, Father, my prayer is that today that that we would understand all these lies, but I would hope that we would linger at that last one, that you are a God who's a providing God. You're faithful. There's hope in this whole thing with temptation. And so, Father, we come to you now. We come proclaiming your character of holiness, of sovereignty, of goodness. You're a good, good Father. That's who you are. And we can rest in that. There may be unrest in every other level of our life, but we can rest this morning, Father, in who you are and that you have claimed us as your own. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.